Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Two, Street Candles. Today's installment, Chapter 18. I managed to walk down the wide staircase alone, Takir, after a quick, encouraging nod to me, having moved off in another direction upstairs to oversee some aspect of the evening's events. The hall below wasn't empty, for there were motionless guards and servants stationed about the place, like statues or mimes. Their eyes were on me, but no one moved otherwise. At the foot of the staircase, though, a woman in a maid's outfit bobbed weirdly, then gestured with a smile to follow her. We went over to the side and down a wide hallway. There were voices and some low laughter coming in from an open set of doors off to the right, which proved to be a dining room. I almost thought it was a dining hall of some sort, because it could have adequately served a medium-sized restaurant, even though there was only one long table. At least 20 people were seated there, including the kids and their parents, while just as many in domestic uniforms stood stone still around the room, waiting to serve. Several of the guests wore military uniforms, men and women with medals and rank, all in formal dress and crew cuts. They socialized comfortably, as if the expectation of a refined meal and refined company, with scores of attendants and delicacies on hand, was not at all unusual. The young people and the commissioner were the only ones I recognized. Sindra's dad sat at one end of the table while an older military man sat at the other. Maley was near this guy, so I marked him as her dad, the general. The obvious civilians in the room, including the kids, wore rich clothing and subtle jewelry, matching the subdued elegance of their surroundings like more pieces of the furniture. Benley sat between his parents. I knew this instantly because he looked like both of them. They rose, as did their son, who introduced us in Seishan, and then Inglis. His people were smiling and looked like they'd been recently lifted of an awful weight. They offered me sincere thanks in broken English. In return, I quietly asked Benley for the words in their tongue to express my gratitude for their kindness. Then I tried to say them, which was a mistake. I screwed it up so badly, everyone at the table laughed. The boy translated for me thereafter, and I garnered murmurs of approval from the room. Others were standing too, and Maylie introed her own mother and father, the latter of whom was, indeed, the general who owned that end of the table. Then G brought forth his parents for my benefit and obligation. Everyone was happy and relieved, and extended their appreciation to me as best they could manage. Takir had arrived at the door behind. I had yet to enter the room more than a few steps, and he just waited there for the introductions to come and go, as if he'd planned them all himself. At just the right moment, he took my elbow and guided me to a seat next to Commissioner Vernays. At his right hand, to be exact. Sindra sat opposite, to his left, 
wearing a dark green, rich-looking dress that magically transformed her from an angry young woman into an angry young princess. I am glad to see you are unafraid of soap, Spacer, was her only comment. It was accompanied by an exaggerated scowl, which I'd come to think of as her trademark. You look nice, too, I replied, suppressing a more juvenile retort from the gleeful little wise guy inside. I apologize for summoning you so abruptly, her father spoke quietly, leaning in and placing a friendly hand on my arm. But many of our guests have had to travel a long way this night. No, Commissioner, my apologies. I'd lost track of time. You must be horribly fatigued. It is regrettable that this party must happen now, but there are circumstances which I have had to discuss with many here, and not presenting you to the other parents would have been insulting. I understand your reluctance for ceremony, though. This can be a burdensome process. What process is that? His eyes swept the room, wearily and with no little irritation. Holding court. He stood then, and all conversation stopped, as if every mouth was on a single switch. For the sake of our honored guest, he spoke volubly, with humor and assurance in his voice, and a big, well-crafted smile on his face, I will speak English tonight. Those of us with a poor grasp, uh, hello, Mizaka, and that got a laugh all around, though I couldn't tell whom he was referencing. Please rely upon your better-trained peers. Now then, we welcome this man whom God brought down from the heavens and placed between our children and danger. He holds a debt we can never truly repay, for what compensation can equal the safety of our young ones? Are we getting served tonight or should I order in? Syndra muttered but loud enough for everyone to hear. It seemed like a normal thing, in keeping with the temperament of the girl and the prevailing mood of the evening. All the people who could understand her, including her father, burst into laughter. I guess this was, in fact, the funniest thing anyone anywhere had ever said, because their sudden roars, carefully timed, I noticed to have come after the commissioners, filled the room. And despite its energy... The loudest of the mirth only lasted as long as this man's did. It was surreal, and a chill swept my spine, even as I faked my own chortles. Presently, Babin, we must thank the man who has brought you home in one piece. Yes, I say we cannot find the right words. I therefore declare something else. One who has done such a thing is a friend for life. Yes, my family, my cherished colleagues, I present to you Ejok dos Santos, and pronounce him now and forever Familia Ancano to House Vernays. There were shocked oohs and ahs and actual applause then. Sindra, who looked as surprised as everyone else, gave me a curt gesture to stand up. This I did, intending just to smile and wave and then take my seat again, but the others all grew quiet, which implied it was customary to say a few words on an occasion of such pomp. I cleared my throat nervously, hoping to frame my words around the fact that I had no idea what was going on. Um, well, thank you for that, Commissioner Vernays. Truly, I, I don't really know what I did to deserve such an honor. I feel we all helped each other. 
But I'll tell you this, you have some brave kids here. You should all be very proud of them. Very proud indeed. I finally gave them the wave and sit routine to more applause and kind-sounding words in a lingo I didn't know. Again, this must have been anticipated somehow, as impromptu as it had been for me, because there was a sudden springing into action by the waitstaff. Takir was back out in the hall now, orchestrating details. You could be a public speaker with charm like that, Spacer. Beben, do not be uncharitable. He is now your hanonklo. You must show respect. Yeah, I said, offering up a grin to her frown. Respect me. I respect my intellectual equals, she replied, and took a drink of water from a crystal goblet at her elbow. Her tone was as grumpy as usual, but she looked at me with something milder, I thought. Or maybe not. The older man sighed and shook his head, looking strained and happy at the same time. This reminded me, with a sudden stab, of Griselda in engineering. You must forgive her, Mr. DeSantos. Sindrenea is simply crippled by her education. I will be a doctor of political history, she stated firmly, almost like an accusation, with the entrenchment of an old argument in her voice. I will be the only member of this family who has earned her position. Please, Beben, not tonight, her father begged with controlled exasperation. For the sake of your friend, for all your friends, let us be free of differences right now. Can we not eat and drink and be grateful for the people in our lives? She said nothing to that, but gave him a sharp look, which she also turned on me. It was a challenging stare, as if she dared me to jump into the scrape on her father's side. I just raised my hands in immediate surrender, which pissed her off anyway. She got up and walked down to Maylie, near the end of the table, crouching at her side and whispering. For his part, the commissioner looked frustrated and a bit sad, despite the relief displayed only moments before. He watched her not as a global power all his own, but as a father. This lasted a few seconds, then he turned back to me. Do you have children of your own, Mr. DeSantos? No, I don't. Do you want one? He gave me a mock, hopeless stare, and we both burst out laughing. <laughs> Please, call me Ejok, I told him, this moment feeling like the first break in the ice. No, I'd need to settle down first, or at least have a ship of my own big enough for a family. Maybe someday. Not a pressing goal, but not a forbidden one, then. A woman in perfect domestic garb stepped in as he spoke, presenting a tray before the man, covered in a dome of mirrored silver. You could say that, I replied with a nod, just as an arm in crisp linen floated down in front of me with a similar tray. This was startling, actually, but I tried not to show it. A professional life can be demanding, you understand. Oh, indeed. He ignored the setting before him and the room as a whole, staring at me, studying me. That same gaze from the hall was back again, but not as distrusting, perhaps. Though impossible to read, it clearly revealed a mind at work, measuring, distilling, calculating. He leaned in close then and spoke so quietly that I doubt even Sindra could have heard had she not still been commiserating with her friend. I must attend to these people, but we will talk later after the meal. Meet me in my study, if you would. 
Certainly. It was all I had to say, and all he wanted to hear. Perhaps all he ever heard. The food was good, I suppose. Minuscule portions, but many of them, and beautiful to behold, like the fanciest of hors d'oeuvres. I wasn't exactly hungry when it was over, but it all seemed like a lot of work just to fill your belly. I'd gotten into a few conversations throughout the course of the meal, one with a particular officer on the other end of the table, pressing me for any details I may have noticed about the strength or organization of the revolutionary forces. I didn't have much to offer, but I mentioned what I could remember. He nodded to much of it and even made a note about a particular street where we'd seen fighting. Benlay supplied the name. He seemed fairly satisfied anyway. His wife thereafter forbade work chat at the table, and we left off any more mention of the troubles. I discovered that these people had indeed come from near and far, through the bad weather and darkness of the long night, and despite the danger of random violence. I also got the impression that the men, specifically, had more yet to do this evening. Commissioner Vernays had been holding meetings before dinner and intended to continue afterwards. It struck me quite odd that only the males were involved in any serious business. I knew that the Empire was, by and large, a patriarchal society, but I'd never seen it in action before, so it just seemed weird and lopsided. None of the women appeared to be bothered by it, not even Sindra, who I would have pegged to be the most outspoken person in the room on, well, pretty much any topic. When exactly I was supposed to speak privately with the head of the house, I couldn't say, but the older man waved Takir over at one point and whispered some instructions. The butler then offered a meaningful nod my way, which I returned, unsure of what I was agreeing to. Sindra had resumed her place by her father's side, looking bored and glum. She questioned me about life in the Alliance and about stations and such, then accused me dispassionately of a morbid lack of appreciation or rank stupidity whenever I couldn't supply the details she asked for. Crabbiness was her protective hide, clearly. Her unhappiness over being safe and sound was a mystery for a while. At length, I decided she was embarrassed for getting into trouble and having to run home to Daddy. Realizing that you aren't the hero of your own life is a sobering experience, and I felt sorry for her. The dessert was a sweet and savory whipped concoction that was gone in just three bites. I couldn't even form an opinion of it because it had no lingering presence on the palate. The rest of the table seemed very impressed, though, and we all clapped for the head chef when the commissioner summoned him to the dining room for compliments and general appreciation. He turned out to be that mysterious Estrono fellow, a man both corpulent and proud. By its end, and overall, the dinner party seemed a complex and well-crafted event, in the home of a man with deep, world-spanning concerns. Indeed, with the commissioner and his daughter as the only actual family members in residence, the latter of who had spent the day in the city getting shot at, it was obvious that the entire to-do had been planned and executed by the staff, which made it Takir's show, really. He stood in the doorway, a tall figure in black and white, expressing nothing but attentiveness and perfect professionalism. 
I decided then he was an extraordinary man, and it frightened me very much. When the meal was finally over, Commissioner Vernays invited the adults, myself included, into a large lounge for drinks and such. I did join them, but was feeling quite isolated by now. If a birthday party with my shipmates had put me on edge, drinks and gentle conversation with perfect strangers certainly had no attraction. I excused myself after just a few minutes, claiming fatigue, which was no lie, despite the excellent coffee served with dessert. I gave Sindra's dad a smile from across the room, hoping to imply that I'd await his summons, and he gave me one in return, which I took to mean he understood. Half the conversation in that house seemed to be made up of nods and knowing looks. Sindra and the other kids were in a large room down the hall with open doors, and they invited me to join them as I passed. It was a gaming hall of some sort, complete with tri-D consoles, a smackball board, and other things. They weren't playing games, but some music was on, a soft, instrumental thing that seemed more sophisticated by half than I would have expected of them. Maylie came over to the door where I stood and, unbidden and unexpectedly, gave me a hug. Thank you, she said quietly, and then pulled away just as fast. The boys were too cool for such displays, especially G, but they echoed her words. Sindra stood there with her normal scowl arms folded. You were not entirely useless today, Space Air. I just offered her a smirk. You're welcome, Sindra. All of you. But we were very lucky in the city. Please don't go back there, guys. It's dangerous. You are a genius for this insight. And where will you go now? To look for your crew people? That's the plan, yeah. You should stay here. Patro likes you. How can you tell? She crinkled her forehead as if the question was stupid. You have been mid familian Kano, Benlay supplied with the same puzzled expression. And that means what? Sindra looked disgusted for a moment and said something disparaging in low speak, which made the others giggle. You are now officially a family ally, her boyfriend continued. A friend of the family, you mean? Oh, it is much more. It signifies that, though you are not blood, you are trusted as if you are. It is a great honor and a legal title in the Empire. Oh? Okay, well, that's good, I guess. They stared at me with perplexment, and Sindra with irritation. Can you appreciate nothing that is done for you, Space Air? I appreciate the meal and the roof over my head right now. But I have a ship in orbit that wants to leave, and people on the ground who want to leave. And despite the kindness of strangers, I'm sorry to inform you all that I want to leave. With that title, she scolded, as if speaking to a truculent puppy, and not a cute one at that, you could live on with House Vernays for the rest of your life, find productive work within our businesses, be an honored guest in my father's home on holidays and all special occasions. Safety and security is what you lazy alliancers all want. Is that how it's done in the Empire? Name-calling? Some irritation of my own had now creeped in because I was tired, and I never liked kids much anyway, especially older ones who had learned how to talk but not how to think. Go ahead and tell me the rules, Sindra, since you're the expert. You're the one who's got it all figured out. Benley and Maylie seemed immediately distressed. Gee, just look cool. 
They turned on their short friend in a familiar way, as if they'd had to intercede because of her attitude and mouth in the past. She just waved them off, walked over to a chair, and sat smoldering. Go then, spacer. No one stops you here. Be a friend. Be a stranger. It is the life you want to lead. Thanks, Mom, and good night to you, too. I then mumbled an apology I didn't mean to the other kids and turned away toward the stairs in my room. I was actually quite angry, not because I thought these kids or anyone else owed me for what had happened in the city. I had been there too, after all, and had only done what was best for me. No, I was pissed because I'd heard Sindra's argument before. Other people, other places. It was seeming like my anthem suddenly, and I just wanted to be clear of it, and of this entire rotten world. Despite my beeline and quick pace, Takir appeared from some corner or hidden doorway and intercepted me before I was even on the first step. To my surprise, I was able to suppress a weary sigh. The master would see you now, if it is convenient. I thought he had business with the others. And apparently some with you, Mr. DeSantos. I didn't hesitate or even change expression, I don't think. Fatigue and irritation lending me nervous energy. I just gestured for him to lead on, which he did. We passed the elegant lounge again, and a quick glance showed me that the commissioner and some of the other men were no longer present. We continued to another door down the way, where the butler knocked. It was opened after a moment by one of the officers, the fellow I'd spoken to at dinner. He was now in shirt sleeves, cuffs rolled up, and his red ascot loose and hanging. He held a cocktail glass in one hand and stepped back to let me enter. I cast Takir a puzzled look, which he reflected with utter urbanity. He motioned with one hand, so I stepped in. Ah, dear Ejok, the commissioner said loudly, standing up from a leathery chair. It sat near a real fireplace, which didn't smell like it was burning wood or anything else in particular, though it threw prodigious heat. Commissioner, I greeted with a nod. Gentlemen. There were four officers with the older man, including the one who'd let me in, and they all nodded in return. Behind me, Takir closed the door quietly, and with a click, I found myself alone with those privileged men who were tasked with saving their world. You have been listening to Street Candles, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com or drop me an email at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. The Street Candles theme is called Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly and can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. This production is otherwise copyright 2013 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Street Candles is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead or any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.